Okay, so that's it. We're, uh, we're, I went back and looked at the very first recording, Hebrews chapter 1 introduction, and it was about a year ago. So I remember when I preached through this at the Sunday service, it was exactly 52 Sundays to preach through. Now, admittedly, throughout this past year, there have been periods where we've stopped. We've, you know, taken a few weeks off. You know, I had some health issues and things like that. But pretty much same time frame. And I just want to spend just a few minutes uh, just, again, recovering what this is all about that it was written to Messianic Hellenistic Jews who were struggling both with being a Jewish believer in Jesus as the Messiah and the concept that the final revelation of Jesus superseded that of the law of Moses. So as I said at the beginning, and we've looked at them successively as we crossed them in the text, there were a series of five primary warnings. The first one, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedient received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, there's a high price to pay for uh, not paying careful attention to the final and full revelation that God has given through Jesus Christ our Lord. Warning number two, Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him of whom we must give account. Hebrews 6, 4-8 It is impossible for those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance because to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 to 31. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant and sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to, to fall into the hands of the living God. And finally, number five, which we talked about last week, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him, who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn from him who warns us from heaven? Uh, at that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. 
The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. And so those are the, I mean, obviously there are many other exhortations and warnings in the book, but those are considered to be the five primary warnings. They were, they were directed to Messianic Jews, Hellenistic Messianic Jews, who were undergoing a, a time of both external and internal struggle. But by extension, these also apply to us as believers. Okay, so we're going to move on tonight and finish up in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 13. And I've titled the first eight verses, the, Our Value of the Vertical Relationship, that is between us and God, is exhibited by by our treatment of strangers. So if we read in verse 2, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained strangers. So when you think about that, you, your mind snap, my mind snaps back to Abraham's family in chapter 12. Do you remember that he ran out there to greeted them to come back you know, to, to his tent and you know, to be to be hosted as guests and fed with the Ashkelon kosher. So we are, we are to be eager. We are to show a, a, an eagerness and a, and a desire, not a, not a, a grudging respectfulness towards God and towards God's sacred family, that we should be willing to entertain strangers. Um, take that with, with strangers. It doesn't necessarily mean basically means those who are outside of your sphere of relationship. And the reason for that is because in those relationships, we get the opportunity to serve God and to serve one another. So we should look for those opportunities to entertain strangers or to be hospitable or uh, whatever so that we might perchance have the opportunity to serve God and serve one another. But to let our Brotherly love is, is exhibited first and foremost by our treatment of strangers. It is how do we treat people who are outside of our sphere of influence? <coughs> that would include how do we treat people who are who are not of the household of faith? Do we treat them with respect? Do we treat them with dignity, or, or do we uh, do we do we have a uh, condescending attitude towards them because they are? So verse 2 again says, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained strangers. So that means that we are like that to strangers. So I think I had it in Proverbs that we, I think I had this right there. It was about, uh, I want to say it was summer of 2000. 
to go for a walk In the park, there was a tree, and at a picnic table, and there was one snake. This goes on for picnic tables. This is really early picnic tables. And I felt this incredible hug turn in to the park and go through the tree. And this snake goes in. And just as I had gone, you know, I had walked probably another 75 feet, we'll never see again right and so I think we need to learn to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit in those cases because I think that it is quite possible that God sends angels our way to test our obedience in this matter okay so brotherly love is exhibited by our treatment of strangers hospitality now that that word uh, is actually again there's a fondness it's something that you desire to do you 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 look to do that now admittedly that that is really I guess it's a gift and it's a personality trait I'm not you know I'm not by nature a talker you know some people are, are very you know I'm I tend to be an introvert some people are extroverts and so it's not something that comes natural to me. There are people who are really gifted in this area. I would say that Joe, you know, is, is one such a person. You know, he's, he's just very gifted in this area. And, you know, he comes right out with it and comes with the gospel. And, and he's gifted in that area. But I think that's something that we should strive to do, to, to desire to, to want to have those opportunities. And I think if we really want them, then God will... Well, God will send them, yes. 
Absolutely, you absolutely can. I think, I think you're right, and I think, uh, I think we need to do that. You know, I think we need to push ourselves to do that, and I think God will. You know, that's one of the things that God has, you know, been convicting me of the last six six months to a year about. You know, I'm a teacher. That's what I do. I'm a teacher. But if there's one area that has been a, a weakness in my in my service to Christ, it's in the area of evangelism. You know, I, I mean, as a pastor, you pretty much live a sheltered life, right? You know, and I had the opportunity to share Christ when I worked at the airport with certain individuals, but I would pretty much, most of the time, even at the airport, I was by myself, you know. Um, but to become intentional about that, you know, and so... And so I, I try and be intentional about it now. You know, when I go out, I, I have these little, you know, gospel cards that, you know, and, uh, and I, I'm trying to do better at that, you know. But that has been a weakness. That has been a weakness with me that uh, I need to be working on. Okay. So uh, now verse 3 says, Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. So it's remember the prisoners, that is to be mindful of. Now the context here is mistreated as being in prison for no other reason but for their testimony and witness for Christ. Right, and so this was, this was happening, you know, and, and uh, it, would in, it would increase from this point on that people were being persecuted and imprisoned strictly for their uh, their. Uh, their fidelity to Christ. Now, this is an issue in our time around the world, right? It's still an issue. I mean, you know, there's organizations like Voice of the Martyrs that really keep the church abreast of what's going on. We don't, we don't, uh, you know, we don't see a whole lot of it here, although we are, there is a great deal of persecution here, but it's very sublime, right? It's, it's the persecution, the, uh, the temptation to compromise to fall to apostasy right but in other parts of the country it is more it is more more external more um, more tactical there, there's a more tactical form of persecution that's going on so we should be thinking about them we should be praying about them and uh, and we should we should seek for opportunities to help them when we can now I think also included in this is, you know, the, the whole concept of, of a prison ministries, right? Right? You, you know, Pastor Evans, Pastor Evans got saved as a result of a prison ministry. Yeah, yeah, he was in prison. He got, and he got saved there, you know, and then he got out and went to Bible school and the rest is history, you know. So I think that is an important ministry. Um, and there are some churches that do it really well, right? And there's uh, who was it? Chuck Colson Prison Fellowship, yeah. right? So there are organizations. <clears throat> he was in prison, right? So I think it's important to do that. So uh, again, verse three says, "Remember the prisoners as if chained with them; those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are also in the body." Next one: marriage. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. So, <clears throat> so here the idea is. Uh, respecting the covenant relationship of marriage, right? And so, 
so the, the, the proper boundaries that exist, right, between a husband and a wife and between other women and husbands and, and other husbands and wives, right? <clears throat> so that needs to be respected and it needs to be held sacred. Okay, so marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. So obviously this is an issue. It's an issue in the church today. There's a great deal of fornication, right? Fornication is not just, and respecting, respecting the marriage covenant doesn't mean just not going to the physical act of adultery, right? There are many levels of fornication that can take place, many ways of not respecting the marriage covenant, right? Pornography is a big one, right? And pornography, believe it or not, is a big issue in the Christian church today, right? And so uh, also, you know, uh, homosexuality, all of those things, all of these things are in play in the church today. And if you've walked, <coughs> if you've walked in the pastoral ministry for even a little bit of time, then you've, you've, count, you've counseled someone who was dealing with being in a, uh, in a relationship that was unsanctioned by the Holy Scriptures, whether it be a heterosexual relationship or a homosexual relationship, right? I've encountered and counseled individuals struggling in those areas in my 20, 21 years of pastoral ministry. So it is an issue in the church. That doesn't mean that they're not saved, right? But what, what, but they, they need to be shown that, that there is a way out, right? And they need to be not judged. They need to be, they need to be counseled and they need to be encouraged to, to come into conformity with the scriptures. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay. Uh, let your conduct, verse 5, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as ye have, for he himself has said, I will never, never leave you nor forsake you. <coughs> Excuse me. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So, that is to avoid coveting what your neighbor or brother may have that you do not have, right? That could be status, it could be popularity, it could be charisma. Uh, the, the bottom line there is you, whatever you have, whatever station you are in in life, you're there because God has purpose to place you there, right? So if you're at the lower end of the middle class income bracket and you're living at the lower end of the middle income lifestyle, you're there because that's where God has you. That's where he wants you because he knows that that's the best place for you to be. Right? Conversely, if you're at the upper end of the upper class, right? You're not there because ultimately because you're so brilliant or you're so charismatic but because God has placed you there, right? And so it behooves you to not become prideful and to be satisfied with that and to find ways to use that in service to the body, right? And, and uh, to, that's, that is the danger for those who are at the upper end of the, um, you know, of the income and success, you know, 
spectrum, right? I think the scripture says they, you know, they kiss their own hand because they think that they've done that themselves, but they haven't. God is the one who, who did that. So pride is the issue there. But at the other end of the spectrum, the issue there that they need to watch out for is, is envy and coveting, right? But God has them there. God has them in their places as well as those who are anywhere in between those things. So be happy with whatever you have. And, and if only, if only this is something that we could do as a nation, right? I mean, you know, the, the uh, people don't realize this, this is, but debt is slavery. Debt is slavery. You know, I remember, I remember, uh, you know, years back, things weren't going very, weren't going financially well for me. And I remember going into the bedroom and sitting at the edge of the bed. And I said to my wife, I am a slave. I am a slave. I'm a slave to my debtors, you know, and I just, you know, that day I, I prayed. I said, God, help me get out of this slavery, you know, and it took years. But, you know, it, it finally happened. Thanks be to God. But debt is slavery. We see it as, you know, uh, as normal. But it's just slavery, you know. And, and I just been chuckling all along at all of these, you know, students who took out these, you know, enormous student loans, you know, for they, they were hoodwinked into careers that they're never going to make any money. And, you know, and, and actually thinking that those debts were going to be forgiven. Those debts don't get forgiven. So they're loaded up, some of them, with hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt. This is not even, they don't want a house, you know, all of the other things. So they're carrying that debt and they're slaves. So debt is a slavery. So we should be happy with what, with, with what we have. Okay. All right. Now, verses 7. Uh, and I also put 17 here because it speaks to, uh, to those who are in authority over us. So I'll read verse 7. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. And then drop down to verse 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Okay. So some things here in verse 17. Now, it, this is not a blanket, you know, uh, you obey without question, right? Any blind obedience, because it tells us to do certain things. It says, be mindful for those who are placed over you. But does their conduct and lifestyle match what they say? And does that conform to God's word? Verse 8, are they stable and steady in belief and lifestyle? If so, then you are to imitate their behavior, right? So there's some, there's some conditions applied there, right? What does their conduct look? What is their lifestyle? Is it lining up with what they say? Is it lining up with 
with, uh, with the dignity that is supposed to be associated with the, with the position of rule that they carry within society and, and, uh, and the church as well, right? So I think it's speaking here to two groups, right? So remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their faith, right? Okay. Uh, and, and the template there comes in verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? What is this, what is this stability look like? What is it? What is it in reference to? Well, that comes in verse 9. Do not be carried about by various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the head be heart be established with, by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have, uh, who, have, um, who have been occupied with them. Okay, so the value of our vertical relationship is exhibited by the way that we treat our neighbors okay but it's also exhibited by the way that we live our lives of faith in stability right is there doctrinal stability in our life and does that doctrinal stability does it translate into a lifestyle of stability in conformity to to the doctrines of the scriptures right we should be growing in grace we should be growing in sanctification as we move along. Yes? So a doctrinal maturity and maturity of practice of that doctrine? Yes. Yeah, we are. And, and that has been the consistent message, right? Remember all the way back from Hebrews chapter 5, verse 6. Keep going. you got to keep moving. So, so how much do we value? So, and this is... How, do, how does anyone know how much they value? How do I know, let's say, we'll pick Dennis. How can I assess how much Dennis values his relationship with Christ, right? Well, you, can, you, can, you can't know perfectly, but you can know something of it. Is Dennis conforming his life to what the scriptures teach? Is he seeking to walk further and increasingly every day in the image of Christ, right? And so, and so why, does, why would Dennis want to do that? Why would you want to do that? Not because we're expecting you know, some, it's, it, some sort of pat on the shoulder by God, but because we want to get to know him, right? We care about him. We want to get to know him. So, so that vertical relationship has to become a stable one, right? There needs to be stability in that vertical relationship if there's stability in that vertical relationship prayer scripture reading you know uh, mortifying the deeds of the flesh all of the things that the scriptures tell us we need to work on if there's stability there then there that's going to equate to stability in our lives stability in doctrine stability in practice stability in the way that we conduct ourselves on a day-to-day -day basis in spite of the storms, in spite of the valleys, it doesn't mean we don't get knocked down. It doesn't mean that we never get discouraged. It doesn't mean that we never get to the place like where Job is. Why am I even alive? I curse the day that I was born. But we rebound from it. 
We always come through that valley, right? So stability, and Jesus Christ is the template, right? Because of what he endured, he never, never lost his stability. Okay, and so we have, because we, we have access to grace from this altar that those who follow the law do not have access to. And that's what the point that is made in verses 10 and 11. It draws the distinction between the animals which were offered under the Mosaic law and the sacrifice which initiated the new covenant. Those who were still under the law had no right or enablement to participate in it since it could only come by faith in the true sacrifice. So they don't have those who are under the law. And he's making this point to Messianic Jews who are contemplating going back to Judaism. Right? That that, that was done away with. And those who, are, who had been participants in that and those who were still participating in that had do not have access to the grace or the, uh, the, the offering on the altar that is the spiritual one, that is the sacrifice of Christ and all of the enablement that comes with that. Okay. All right. So our value of vertical relationship is exhibited by the way we live our lives of stability, of faith, instability, doctrinal stability, and integrity in the face of adversity and suffering. And I, uh, stability in devotions. Verse, uh, let me pick it up at verse 12. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Let us therefore, verse 13, let us therefore go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Verse 14, for we have... No continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore, verse 15, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So there you have stability and devotions, right? Let us continue. It's a, it's a continuous action. Let us continue to give, to offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So, you see this whole second half of this here speaks of stability. Verse 16, but do not forget to do good and to share for which such sacrifices God is well pleased. Stability in doing good and in sharing. So we have doctrinal stability, right? We have stability in devotion, stability in doing good and sharing. And verse 18, 17 and 8, we covered 17. I'll read it again just, just to cover it. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Now, let's park right there for a minute. Does that mean that you always have to agree with everything, everything that those who are placed in authority over you uh, uh, ask you to do no it absolutely does not it absolutely does not right you are their their authority over you only carries insofar as they are in accordance with the scriptures right right now 
don't automatically assume because you don't see something the same way that someone rules over you sees it that you're seeing it correctly and they're seeing it incorrectly right so you should endeavor to understand their point of view but by and large you know uh, you know God has placed authority structures over you here it's, it's speaking specifically within the con within the context of the body of Christ that there are those who are placed in authority over you and you should you should uh, seek to support them uh, and when they're incorrect about something you should seek to correct them right and and pray for them right so all of those things uh, all of those things um, are important I can tell you that nothing grieves the heart of a pastor more than gossip than malicious gossip <clears throat> right nothing grieves the heart of a pastor more than finding out that one of the sheep has an axe to grind with the pastor but never goes to the pastor to talk to about it goes and talks to other people and they hear it through the grapevine that so-and-so has an axe to grind with them over something those are the kinds of things that uh, that <clears throat> that grieve and discourage those who are placed in authority right okay yes so <clears throat> Uh, a Yes, but I'm not sure that that's quite the same distinction as with husband and wife, right? <clears throat> so let me, you know, let me draw the analogy now. Many times a husband and wife will, will discuss on how to do something, right? And, and the husband will set his mind on doing something, and the wife knows that it's going to be wrong, knows that it's going to be a mistake. So, but is it right for her to flat out refuse to go along with it? No. Well, it all depends on what the point is. But let's say buying a Chevrolet versus a Ford, right? The wife says, no, no, stay away from that Ford. Buy a Chevrolet. Those, those Fords are junk. The husband is, no, 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 I want that Ford, right? And so the wife says, okay. And God will teach you. You should have bought a Chevrolet instead of a Ford, right? So, so I, I think there's a little bit of a distinction there. Um, because of the whole headship thing, right? So the whole headship thing, right? And the covenant of marriage is not the same, you know, as, as you know, the, the covenant of brotherhood in the church. By the way, which, yeah, I'm not, I've kind of changed my mind about church covenants, you know, um, because, because when, you, when you look at biblical covenants, what was the penalty for breaking a biblical covenant? Death. Death. Death was the penalty for breaking a biblical covenant. So I think in many ways, um, you know, when we talk about covenants this day, these days, we have to be careful that we're not watering down the biblical concept of covenant. You broke a biblical covenant, the penalty was death, right? So. Uh, 
Uh, no, statement of faith is different. A covenant, a, a covenant is a promise. A covenant is a promise where you're calling God to witness. So, you know, biblical covenant, so the covenant, you know, the Mosaic covenant, but you also had the covenant that was made between parties, right? Involved, you know, you'd take an animal, you'd cut it in half, and they'd walk between it. And if anyone violated that covenant, the person who was violated had the right to take the other person's life as payment, right? So that's kind of like, a, it's got really nothing to do with what we're talking about, but I just thought I'd mention it. So, you know, we need to be careful that we're, you know, we don't always have to agree with everything that, uh, you know, those who are in authority over what us are doing, right? Because the reality is that they're flawed just like we are, right? We make mistakes, they make mistakes. We're there to be checks and balances for each other, right? Well, what if they don't? That's my question. Well, what if they don't? No, I'm throwing it back to you. Well, go ahead. right that's right that's right so you if you see something you have a response so if, if as Doug said if there if you see that sort of relationship taking place within the church and it's not being addressed then a maybe it's because God has placed you in the position of being the one to address it furthermore furthermore if you see the leadership of that church also not addressing the situation then why aren't they letting this happen right then maybe god in addition to placing the the call on you to go speak to that relationship is also to go speak to the disobedient to the disobedient stance of the leadership right no no Well, they're going to be given an account for it. Yeah, oh no, they're going to be held to account for it. Yes, of course they should be. Yeah, well, we're in the mess that we're in now because church discipline is gone. You know? That's true. Or, or... Or they may indeed be addressing it. Oh, that's, yeah, there's the whole but they're not working in accordance with your timeline. Right. Or, or publicly. Yeah, right? So, so that's, you know, at that point, you know, I would say go have a conversation with the leadership. They may say to you, well, we are kind of dealing with it. We can't give you any more details, but we are kind of dealing with it. Right? And so on and so on and so forth. Okay. Again, because, you know, you wouldn't believe the stuff that goes on in churches.
<laughs> All right. It never ends. It really never ends. Okay. And verse 18 and 19, pray for us. For we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in a few words. Okay. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you, and all the saints, those from Italy, greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. And that's it. That's a wrap. Hebrews is done. Now this will be the second time that I've preached verse by verse through the book of Hebrews.